Church, will you join me in this this week and just commit to pray for these kiddos? Uh, sorry, students and young adults as they go. Um, you know, walking and watching what God can do and has done in student ministry is pretty amazing. A few weeks ago, uh, we talked about when people come to know Christ, and it's when they are most open to understanding an example. And, and this week, they're going to be talking with kiddos uh, who are young, and guess who's going to be watching? The ministry they're doing is in an apartment. And so in the common area of the apartment, they're going to be um, talking to to kiddos, and we know that their parents are going to be watching. We know that they're going to be um, looking in and peering in on what is happening and what is being said. And so this week, pray for our students and our leaders, pray for kiddos, but also pray for uh, the parents who will just be peering in on what's going on. So uh, with that, we're going to be reading a lot of scripture today. I'm going to tell you, try and camp out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But uh, on your worship guide, you'll see three passages of Scripture. We're going to hit all of them at the beginning um, because we need them to overlap this week. And so let's kind of walk through that. The three chapters of Scripture, we're passages of Scripture we're looking at. One is Luke chapter 22. We'll look in verse 19 and 20. We'll look then again at Romans chapter 6. Um, we'll read verse 1 through 11. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we'll start in verse 23. So a lot of scripture today, as we talk about family values and what we believe uh, about the Lord's Supper and about baptism. And so we're blessed to have started our service today with baptism, but we'll also then follow through uh, with talking about why it's so important. And uh, my encouragement is, as we get ready for the Lord's Supper today, that we would be prepared in heart and mind and spirit as we understand better what it is. Um, and so if you have your Bible, let's do this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, let's start with Luke chapter 22, verse 19 and 20. I just want to read these to you. Uh, then we'll jump into 1 Corinthians and then come back to Romans chapter 6. So uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 19 and 20 says this. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out of you is the new covenant in my blood. Those are the words of Christ. If you'll then turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, we'll read through verse 25 about the Lord's Supper once again. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper and saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So those are two passages on the Lord's Supper. Now, if you want to turn with me, I've got cheat sheets to Romans chapter 6. All right, you're going to go over just a few pages in your Bible to Romans chapter 6. I'll read verse 1 through 11 of Romans chapter 6 for us, as this tells us a little bit about baptism and some of that meaning. Paul, inspired by the Spirit, unpacks it well. It says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to uh, sin so that grace may abound? By no means. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? And we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, um, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Uh, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with sin, we believe that we'll also live with him. Verse 9, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died to sin, he, excuse me, the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So that you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that's a lot, uh, and to try to be um, fruitful and, and, and respectful of our time, pulling these two uh, ordinance of the churches together, um, we're going to run through a, a lot of understanding, and, and we'll always continue to come back to it. Um, but I was preparing what we believe, and, and we have very specific things broken down about the Lord's Supper, and about um, baptism, what we'll touch on today. But there's a statement, it's in your bulletin, and it'll come up on the screen. And this is kind of what we would say about our ordinances. So if we have that statement about baptism and the Lord's Supper for the screen, we'll pull it up and we'll share it together. There we go. All right, church, would you read this with me out loud? Here we go. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are sacred symbols given by the Lord Jesus Christ which Christians are instructed to participate in as a solemn privilege, all right? So, so in a very brief overview of what we believe, uh, this is a, a very drawn-out statement. In fact, as I was writing it down, my wife said, you're using a lot of that fluffy religious language in this one. You know, it's not, it's not our normal nitty-gritty things. And, and as we talked about it, I said, you know, it's funny, that's kind of what I want to remind us of. I want to remind us that the Lord's Supper and baptism aren't our normal everyday pair of tennis shoes, so to speak, but they are special, set apart, and they are steeped in our faith and our religion. And, and so what I scribbled down in my notes as I was preparing for this is something that, that we can fall into a trap of, and that's what we're going to unpack about a little bit today. This is what I wrote. Don't make the remarkable into something common. Don't make the remarkable into something common. And by common, I don't mean in regularity. I just mean a dime a dozen. Are you following me with that? Uh, when, when something's a, a dime a dozen and it, 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 it doesn't have importance, it loses value. Um, but something that's remarkable is, is priceless. It's, it's incredibly meaningful and important. And so as I was preparing for this week, I thought there's some intentionality with us because I think we need to differentiate between just having the word tradition and, and a holy directive. Right? And, and traditions are good, and we have Christian traditions that are vitally important. And, and I know technically, if you're a, a speech major, that the baptism and Lord's Supper is a Christian tradition. Say that three times fast. <laughs> Christian tradition. 
but, but it's not just a tradition. You know, we have traditions of how we open presents at our house. When Christy and I got married and I went to her family's house for our first uh, Christmas together, there was a chair, and you could only open presents if you sat in the chair. Y'all, it was a chair for one. That was their tradition. Wait and be excited as everybody opens their present. Our tradition was like every man for himself, right? Like chaos, mass explosions. And, and both of them have meaning in, in, in that life, in, in, in our life. And they're important, but they don't have a sacred importance. You follow me on that? Um, if, if you get up every morning, I've told you this before, when I, when I brush my teeth, you may do this. I just get the water. When I was a kid, I stuck my head under the water fountain and got it all, my toothpaste out. You know, but there was a time as a teenager reading the story of Gideon. I just thought, Lord, I just want to remember every time I put my hands together and there's water in it that I want to be chosen. So I'm going to drink like this instead of just putting my face in the water. That's a great tradition. It's a good reminder of scripture, but it's not a holy command. Are you following me on that? So there's a little bit of difference when we talk about scripture and, and whatnot. And so we're going to talk through some things right now as we talk through baptism and the Lord's Supper. And some churches do baptism all and they save it for once a year or twice a year. And other churches kind of do them as baptism happens. Some churches have the Lord's Supper every week. Other churches have it uh, quarterly. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Just so you know, the regularity of those two things are preferentially based for the most part. I want you to know that. And that's what we're going to walk through. So we know that different denominations do them at different regularities and whatnot. And we're going to walk through that because I want you to know what the Bible says. And as we walk through this series on family values, here's what I want you to hear. At First Baptist, we want to follow Scripture all the way to the edge, but never step over and add to it. Amen? Right? We want to see in Scripture what God brings to the surface, but we don't want to look for things in Scripture that are not there that we might justify uh, another way. Right? So this is what we're going to do. We're going to bring it all the way to the edge, and, uh, and we're just not going to go beyond it because at the end of the day, I want to be right where God is, not in front of Him and not behind Him by a long ways. All right? So, so let's start off by, by talking about Scripture. First of all, what Scripture says about the Lord's Supper and about baptism is this. They aren't just symbolic, but they're sacred. They aren't just symbolic, they are sacred. We, we have a, a tendency that is not new to America, that's not new to our lifetime, but, but we tend to live societally on a pendulum, Amen. I mean, if you think about that, it's like when the ball's way over here and it's out of whack, we tend to say, let's swing all the way over to this part. I mean, think about this. In the early and mid-90s, you know what teenagers were wearing? Girls were wearing extra, extra large t-shirts, right? And boys were wearing pants that if they were to have to emergency evacuate an airplane, they would land safely. You follow me? Like that... That was the trend. You know how bad of a style that was? That was a horrible style. So, so guess what happened in the early 2000s? Girls and boys started wearing clothes that if they had to sneak out of the house through a keyhole, nothing would snag. Amen? 
You follow me? Like we just, we just are going back and forth and, and we just see this kind of swinging around. Do you know back in like the 70s, do you know how long a Buick was? It's from here to the back wall, amen? And then all of a sudden we started shrinking cars down. They became more personal. And then guess what happened again? Then they started growing again. And now we're shrinking. It's just this pendulum, it just swings in reaction to. So when we talk about baptism and the Lord's Supper, there was a point, and there are people who swing it so far to the quote-unquote sacred side that it's not really sacred, sacred, sacred. Y'all, my wife leaves for 10 minutes. I'm falling apart. It's not really sacred, but instead it's sacrilegious right we're just we're adding to it too much and so in response to that we swing the pendulum way over here and it's not sacred at all it's just a symbol and, and what i want you to know is that the lord's supper and baptism are sacred symbols now listen again to what luke 22 says now, if you had red letters identifying the words of Christ in your Bible directly, these would be red. Jesus says this, He took the bread, and when he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This is the cup that is poured out for you, and is the new covenant in my blood. You know, last week when we talked about uh, the husband and the wife's role, how, how God, the Spirit, through Paul, intentionally linked the role of the husband and wife to the, to the bride of Christ, the church, and the head of the church, Christ. He, he intentionally used that, that theological tie-in to give it an immense importance. So, so we have to apply that same reality here. When Jesus talks about the Lord's Supper, he's not just saying, hey, it, it, it's just a reminder, like a picture that's faded and turned, turned red. He is linking the Lord's Supper to his own body and to his blood and all of that to an action that is to come and a covenant that has been long awaited. So we can't make this thing common. We just can't do it. I started researching uh, if, if you were raised in a, in a Baptist church like I was, uh, and we do Lord's Supper once a quarter. You know what I mean? And then you get a bonus at Easter, right? Like, woo it's just an extra fun time. That's just kind of how it's always been. I started thinking, where did that come from? How did that even come about? And so I, I looked, and you won't believe it. it before the Reformation... When, when the Catholic Church and, and the leadership at the time who was, who was adding some tradition and making tradition equal with Scripture came, th this group of people started to study the Word for themselves and started to pull away from holding tradition on the same level as Scripture. They still valued tradition, but they put it subordinate to the Word of Christ. And in this process, uh, they started meeting together because having the Lord's Supper was common week after week after week. The problem is the pendulum swung so far over here that said, well, when you eat the Lord's Supper, you should do it every time you gather because it's the real presence of Christ in your hand, so to speak. 
And these guys were saying, well, that, that's reading into Scripture a little bit to say that it's the real presence of Christ in your hand. We could go into that and say, anytime two or more gathered in my name, what does the Bible say? The Lord is present. And so in this conversation about the real, is it, is it a symbol or is it the real presence? There were people look, saying, pointing to Christ's words and saying, this is my, this is, this is it. So, so the first thing to address is, is it a symbol? It's not just a symbol, but is it a symbol? Listen to what John chapter 6 verse 42 says, and I'll, I'll read it to you. Uh, this is Jesus talking. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life, and your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that you may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give, that I will give for the life of the world, is my flesh. Well, the Jews disputed and said, How could this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man and drink of his blood you have no life in you whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life i will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is the true food and my blood is the true drink for whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks of my blood abides in me and i live in him as the living father sent me i live because of the father so whoever feeds on me he also will live because of me well there's two ways to look at this passage one is to say that Jesus is not using uh, a picture to tie what he's doing to the things of God. One's to take it very literally. That, that he says, I'm going to give you food to eat, and this is it. Now, now, the problem is this. What happens when you're in a place where there is no bread or there is no wine? Well, then Jesus just laid down an impossible standard. If it's literal, then he basically said, you being a follower of me is totally dependent on your access to, to bread and juice that is just like the bread and juice that I gave out the Lord's Supper. That, it would be completely dependent. So if you are a prisoner in a foreign country and you cannot eat of it, if you don't have the means for it, those kinds of things, it becomes situationally dependent. If you look at the words of Christ, what he's saying here is what I'm giving you is beyond situationally dependent. It's personally dependent. It's on me. It's funny because he uses this language all throughout Scripture. When he sees the woman at the well, he says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink. And I would give you living water that never runs dry. Well, how would you give him that riddle? He wasn't literally saying, I will turn into a well and provide you with water that makes you thirsty. He was saying, I want you to know you should link this to me. Satisfaction that is deep and rooted and unending comes from me and me alone not from a well not from water it doesn't change into that and so so in that today we've started to say well we we can see from scripture from the language of, of christ when he says i am the living bread when he says i am the living water when he says i am the rock he he's not saying that he's really those things in physical form jesus is not a shapeshifter but what he's saying is, I am all of those things to you. And so when you take the Lord's Supper, you remember with this physical symbol the sacred work that I have done on your behalf. 
And so in that, we see Jesus say, I am really present with you because the Lord's Supper is meant to be taken where? When the church gathers. So we know the Lord is present with us. We know he is here with us and we know that he sustains us. But as we look into his word, what we say is it's sacred because what Jesus tied to it in him not because it becomes transformatively different. So the problem is we, we can swing away from that and say to get so far away from that, we don't want it to become common or ritualistic, so we only take the Lord's Supper once a quarter. How, how did we get to that part? First of all, knowing that it isn't what is going to give us life or not give us life, but it's wildly important and sacred. How did we get to not taking it so often? And, and I'll be honest with you. I was telling uh, Scott the other day is, man, just kind of convicted. I, there was a joy in taking the Lord's Supper for the early church because they needed a constant reminder as they were under persecution, as they were under attack, as this was going on, that I am a part of a new covenant. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. I no longer bury the burden of the law. I no longer have to try to prove over and over again what is already know that I am not enough. And so the Lord's Supper pointed to the reality of that covenant. And so in the way that we got it, I, I tended to think we didn't want to come make it become common and that, that thought developed over time. But let me tell you what really happened. There was a meeting of some people guy named Zwingli, right? We don't talk about him very much. Calvin, John Calvin, Martin Luther, John Wesley, they all, in their time frames, had an opinions on the Lord's Supper. Uh, Calvin and Zwingli, I think it what it was, or maybe Luther and Zwingli at the same time. And they came across and said, here's the problem. What 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, we believe wholeheartedly. Now listen to what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says verse 27 therefore who eats of the bread or drinks of the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the lord let a person examine himself then so that so he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment that is why many of you are weak and ill and have died but if we judge ourselves truly we wouldn't be judged but when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined that he, that we may not be condemned along with the world. Here's what they said. This is such a sacred command of Christ that if you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way, then you are going to be judged by the Lord. And he's saying, I am really telling you, you are going to be, if you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way, it's not mystical or magical, but it is so sacred because of what it points to. If it becomes common to you, and you start saying, I'll do whatever I want, however I want, but then I'll come take the Lord's Supper and I'll be okay because I have communion with him. The argument was, then we're inviting people because we know sin's running rampant. We're inviting them to be judged over and over. And so believe it or not, the thought came to be, how do we help people not get judged so often? And so believe it or not, they said, let's take the Lord's Supper less often. So at one point in history, it was just on Easter. Like, y'all, clean yourselves up for Easter. Don't want anyone sick and dying tomorrow from the Lord's Judge. Believe it or not, that's how it came. Just kind of, kind of a reaction 
to here and to the scripture and saying, how do we protect people from taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? Well, maybe we just offer it less often so they can get ready for it. That's a little bit of a pull away, isn't it? A little bit of that, mm, I don't know about that. And so finally, it became so scarce in the church that finally, church leaders started to say, you have to take the Lord's Supper four times a year. Like once, like once every few, like you've got, you, the church can't keep meeting together without taking the Lord's Supper. It's too important and it's become unimportant because we're afraid to do it. So they created this standard. And so how often should we take the Lord's Supper? As often as we can to remember that we are part of the covenant of God, soaked in his blood and made possible by his brokenness. That's the answer to it. And we can't let fear, we can't let other things fall into place. And so if a church takes it every week, God bless them. If a church takes it every, every few weeks, God bless them. If a church never takes it, problem. You follow me? Why? Because it's not just a symbol. Right? I love my wedding ring and I talk about it often. But really, if I left it at home and I told my wife, my fingers are kind of getting, I'm not the size I was when we got married, amen? And they're getting a little, a little thicker for some reason, flatter, right? I just don't wear it anymore. And we give her a proper reason. She's like, no, I totally get it. It's fine. You know, you, you live it in, in action. That's not the end of, end of things. If you and I don't take the Lord's Supper year after year, that's a problem because it is sacred. Are you following me? Church, we have to be very, very careful not to make a, a molehill out of a mountain. So, so what we have is a sacred symbol in the Lord's Supper. And in baptism, that's what Romans chapter 6 tells us about baptism. Romans chapter 6 says, listen, don't you know, verse 3, uh, don't, don't, do you not know that all who have been baptized were baptized with Jesus into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death just as long as Christ raised us from the dead by the glory of the Father. We too might walk in the newness of life. He is saying this is sacred. When you... Uh, celebrate baptism you are living out what God has done in you you have died and risen again to a new life in Jesus Christ and so you can live with the expectancy of it now if we read this verse in isolation it's easy to twist around to say what it's saying is is you haven't died with Christ until you get in the water is that what scripture is saying well if that were true then Romans would be the most contradictory letter in all of scripture because what Paul says is this, if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died, that Jesus is Lord, and you confess, excuse me, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sin and was raised by his father, and you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, then you will be saved. It's funny, he doesn't add anything else into it, but, but here's the problem. When we go on this pendulum again, we say, well, baptism is necessary because it is linked over and over with repentance and salvation in Scripture. So therefore, it's so sacred, it's necessary for salvation. To believe that, we have to contradict Scripture in multiple places. So we come over here and we say, you know what? Being baptized isn't really that important. If you can do it, you can do it. That sounds great. But, but if you can't, no worries. 
No worries. Was uh, at church one time years ago, and a, and a lady, senior adult lady, was getting baptized. She'd gotten her hair done for the baptism, and she'd gotten into the water, and the pastor that was about to go under, you see this look of terror come up, and her realized, I just did my hair. And ladies, we know that's a real thing. Like, you just went to the beautician and got it done. You know, you protect that. And no kidding, I am watching them go, baptized in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he goes, I'm like oh my gosh she's scared to death (laughs) are we doing a good job of letting people know that being baptism is more than just a common symbol listen it's more important than your hair it's more important than where that it's sacred that there's something special about it. In fact, it's linked in Scripture so much so that a Christian was really unidentifiable in the new church without baptism. Why? Because when a man or woman gave their life to Christ, they couldn't wait to be identified with Christ. And baptism was a public identification of it. We see that in the Ethiopian uh, eunuch talking on his way back. He's saying, what must I do to be saved? He's asking Philip. He says, do this. Well, can I be baptized right here? They stop the, the chariot and they get out and they right there. See, baptism isn't common. It's, it's so sacred that when God changes you on the inside, a real change wants to scream it on the outside. Now, listen, this is how your marriage vows work, and at least this is how how we do them all the time. I start off every wedding with the same thing. I welcome everybody. We get the dad out of the way, pray, and that kind of thing. And then we do something called the declaration of intent. And I look at the groom, and I say, do you promise all of this stuff? Is this the woman you want to marry? And the groom ought to say what? I do. If he doesn't, we have other issues. Right? And then I turn to the bride and I say the same thing and she says, I do. And I tell them, this is the only part of the wedding that is for everyone present. Everything else after that point, I want you locked in eye to eye. It's about the two of you. But at this point, you are saying, in case you're within earshot, I love this woman and she will be mine. Like, at that point, the crowd should go, That's baptism. I am so thankful for the sacred work of God in my life. I am so thankful that that I am his, that I want to be known as his. And this is an undeniable, uniquely Christian word of Christ, demonstrated by Christ, way I can do it. Do you see, church? These are not just symbols. They are sacred symbols. Duh. Does the water save us? Absolutely not. Good answer. That's right. That's Joey up there. It does not save us. But does that make it unimportant? Absolutely not. It links us with the reality of Christ. This is the second thing. These things aren't just encouragements, they're commands. So you should want to, but just in case you were wondering... It's not really, I mean, just, if you don't know this, 
God doesn't care about your opinion, amen? All right, now I'm gonna let you say that out loud with me so someone's evidence is close enough. Say, I want you to repeat after me. God doesn't want my opinion. Ready? One, two, three. God doesn't want my opinion. For some of you, that hurt right here, didn't a little indigestion. But it's true. God wants you to listen, obey, and trust. He doesn't want you to counsel him. Amen? So when he says something, it's not just, oh, man, I'm, I'm really hopeful you'll do this. When, when he says, follow me, he's not like, guys, hope you pick me for your team leader today. What he's saying is, come on. It's with authority. When, he, when we read the, the Sermon on the Mount, he's not saying, you know what? I hope you believe me when I talk about how lust impacts your life. He's saying, no, this is the way it is. This is how it works. So, so what Jesus says in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, 22, excuse me, verse 19, he says, he took the bread and he gave this. He says, this is my body which is given for me. And he says, what? Do this in remembrance of me. He doesn't say do this for salvation. He doesn't say do this because everybody else is doing it. He doesn't say I hope you practice this often. He says do it. And when you do it, I am on your mind, nothing else. It's like a Sabbath moment in, in, in an action. It's not a request, it's not an encouragement, it's a command. If we look at Matthew chapter 28 in the, in the, the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples in my name. And when you make a disciple in my name, what do you do? You baptize them in the name of the who? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is, he says, go. He's not like, I'm, I'm really hopeful you get over your stage fright. Like, I'm, I'm really hopeful that you love me more than you're afraid of, of everybody else thinking. He says, go and do it. And when you do it, hey, why don't you talk to him about maybe being baptized one day? No, it's too sacred of that. So he commands us to be baptized. And here's the joy. It's a joyful commandment because we want to be identified with him. So it's easy to follow, right? And I'm still coming off last week. My wife's not here, so I can say this. If, if Christy says, hey, David, come here and give me a kiss. I'm like, nah, I really don't want to kiss you today. Do you know those words have never come off my lips? I'm like, you just said what? Like, she's, she's saying, come here. And I, I, I'm joyful in responding. When my children would say, you know, Dad, I love it when you come to my games. Like, I, I, I want to respond to that. With the Lord, it's the Lord on high, the authority, the maker of heaven and earth. And he says, this isn't a suggestion, it's a command. And you know what my heart says? that's as light as a feather in the joy of my heart because I wanted to do it anyway because I'm yours I know what you've done for me and I know what you're going to do in return and I love taking the Lord's Supper I know what you've done for me and I don't ever want to forget it that I have been crucified and I've been raised again and I will never taste death, death because you never tasted death again so I do it joyfully the last thing I wrote down is this. They aren't just exclusive, but taking the Lord's Supper and being baptized is a somber privilege. Church, 
as we look at uh, Passover uh, and the new covenant, the Lord's Supper, what, he, what he's saying is this has such deep meaning and I'm inviting you to take part in it with me. The Lord's Supper, death to life, don't devalue that. Make it a somber privilege. Listen, when, when Connor and Ashley got baptized, I, I want you to know two things happened. One, with Ashley, she said, I, I confess Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. For, for about four months, we would encourage her, but we wouldn't lead her towards baptism. I was not in a hurry to get her baptized because it's such a somber privilege. I didn't want it to just be something she thought I wanted her to do. So one night, we're walking by her bedroom. She's six years old. Someone asked me this question, how old can a child be? I'll tell you, I can only tell you my story. When she was six, our children were doing uh, Bible studies every night. That was just part of our family rhythm of life. We're walking by her bedroom, and she's reading the story of Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. And so, like every good parent does, like we freeze, and we listen, and we hear her pray. Jesus, I know just like Adam and Eve that I have chosen not to follow you. So forgive me for not doing that. I want to follow you from, from now on. And we looked at each other and said, that's a confession between her and God. She wasn't doing that for us. And it, at her age, let's do it. I wasn't going to put, if you think you should push your kids into baptism, make sure that they know who Jesus is. That's your responsibility. Throwing them in the water doesn't save them. Jesus does. It's a somber privilege, and our children, just like our, our adults, we should know that. With Connor, it was very different. Uh, Connor was, was young. He's 2011. I don't know how old that makes him um, in, in there. He was born in 1005-04, so around that same age. And every day, he was talking about Jesus for about eight months because he's a boy, and y'all, we know boys. They just tend to be a little bit slower maturing in that age. So every day he's talking about it. And finally, he's crying with tears. Do you, do you not want me to get baptized? And I remember talking to Christy and said, if we don't tell him we believe him, he may think we don't want him to be a part of the family of God. And it was so compelling that we allowed him to follow through on this solemn privilege. It is a somber a meaningful and a solemn privilege. That's why we do family dedications. We don't baptize infants. We don't baptize uh, anybody. We just ran, you can walk off the street and as an adult, we don't just baptize to baptize with hope that. We baptize to show a for sure fact that the person who is being baptized has confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior with their own lips to us and their desire to joyfully be aligned with him in this privilege. Now, I, I know that there, there are people that will move beyond that line, but I'm just telling you as a church, we just want to go to where the line is. And a somber privilege must be treated with the respect that it deserves. So when we look at the Lord's Supper, we don't give our kids, if your child wants to know what the juice and this horrible tasting wafer tastes like, uh, we'll work with Jana on a Tuesday afternoon to let them taste it. 
But when we gather together to take the Lord's Supper, it is a somber privilege. Don't make it common by just doing with it what you would. You see, sometimes in our history and our traditions, we can say we know it doesn't mean baptism doesn't make you saved. We know that the Lord's Supper doesn't do this. And we swing all the way over here and we treat them as common. Church, they are commands of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They hold meaning that is sacred and beyond our everyday actions. And they're a privilege that we shouldn't take lightly. What an awesome